0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 33 of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be joined by JB Marin, who is a world-leading researcher in sprinting and speed development. We start out this conversation talking about his history as an athlete and how he started his academic career. We talk all about the studies that comprised his PhD, including the study that he's probably most well-known for, which was analyzing the kinetics and kinematics of Christoph Lometra when he was coming up as a sprinter just prior to his sub 10-second run. Following on from this, we talked about the technical and physical characteristics of what it means to be a good sprinter, both in acceleration and top speed, and how his research contrasts with another popular researcher by the name of Peter Whelan from the USA. And on this subject, JB destroys the common myth that the vertical jump is a good predictor of sprint speed. We finished up this conversation with a little bit of discussion about the management and rehabilitation of hamstring injuries in sprint training. And we talked just a little bit about the fine line that we have to tread when trying to increase sprint speed in highly trained athletes. Now as a quick add-on to this introduction, just prior to going on air for this recording with JB, he and I were in conversation about a couple of apps that he's developed to measure both sprint speed and vertical jump height without the use of expensive equipment like jump mats or speed gates. These apps are named My Jump App and My Sprint App and I downloaded them after our conversation and I have to say I've been extremely impressed with them so I just wanted to give them a quick shout out on the podcast. Using these apps and other research which JB has contributed to, it's actually possible to plot an individualised force velocity profile for your athletes both in jumping and sprinting to try and calculate whether they are force deficient or velocity deficient and then train them accordingly accordingly hopefully with results that would be far better than you would expect with a balanced or generic program, which I have to say is not bad for $9.99. So I just wanted to pass on my appreciation to JB and the other guys who developed the apps and recommend them to you guys here. Now, remember, if you like this content and the conversation with JB, you're going to find tons of content exactly like it inside the Rugby Strength Coach community. This is an exclusive members community that I've developed just for strength and conditioning coaches. And our mission is to try and provide coaches with the knowledge skills and connections that they need to get ahead and build their careers every month we host a speaker from elite level professional sport presenting on a topic that is dear to their heart and hugely important in the real world this is not just what you're told to learn for accreditations and exams this is the topics that keep world-class coaches up at night and it's stuff that they're using with their teams day in and day out to try and produce elite level performances now when you sign up to become a member of the rugby strength coach community you're not just getting access to those webinar recordings, which are well over 30 hours of information. You're also going to get access to the Strength and Conditioning Discussion Forum. This is a place where you can share ideas, share resources, ask questions and help solve problems with coaches from all over the world at all levels of sport, from international and professional down onto amateur. Lastly, and I'm super proud of this, we have a career development section where you can get help from coaches who have been there, done it before you on every aspect of your career development. That can be sending out cover letters, establishing connections or even preparing for interviews and practical tasks at interview. We have a number of people inside the community who have used the advice of members to secure themselves internships and jobs. And the community is growing day by day. We have members all over the world. So hopefully that can continue. Now, if you'd like to give it a try, just go to rugbystrengthcoach.com slash members and enter the coupon code TRIAL when you get to checkout. That's gonna allow you to try all of the website for just one pound for 24 hours. If you like it, you can keep it and get yourself a standard membership. If not, just get in contact and cancel it. There's no strings attached. You can cancel it whenever you like. But for now, sit back and enjoy this interview with JB Marin, and I'll talk to you soon. JB, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for having me. Mate, I appreciate it, and um, I I think you're the first doctor on the podcast.
1: Okay, let's go. <laughs> I hope, hope I will be a good representative.
0: <laughs> right, I hope so. I'm sure you will be. Um, so, you know, for, for people who don't know you, I'll say it for you. You're you're probably one of the world's leading researchers on um, sprinting and speed development. But can you give people a little bit more background about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah. So uh, my current position is a full professor position at the the University of Nice in France. Um I moved there in 2014 and um my background is uh, basically sports science and training. Um I did my masters in 2000 and then I had uh, my PhD on sports biomechanics in 2004. And um I'm also working as a consultant for uh, sprint power um topics.
0: Yep. And um how did you how did you decide to get into that area for for research?
1: <laughs> basically it's it was it was at the time um, my uh, sprint discipline I was um, a middle distance runner who came to sprinting I did the, the 400 meters huddles and the idea is that uh, you always investigate or you always work with passion uh, on what you like and on what you're doing so there was no question um, I went on to, to study that a bit a bit deeper
0: and um, what, were, what were the, the main studies that, that made up your PhD
1: well, my PhD was um, um, designing some new computation methods to calculate the, the lower limb stiffness during running, and um, so that was a field-based method uh, back in the time already. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the idea was to take some field measurements to analyze uh, running mechanics, and um, we applied this method in sprinting. So that was uh, a 2005-2006 publications. And the idea was to know if um, good sprinters, those who decelerate the less, um, are also those who have a great leg stiffness mm-hmm. and the ability to, to bounce onto the ground. So already at that time, uh, it was uh, something like 10 years ago, uh, that was the topic of the PhD.
0: And, and what did you find out?
1: Well, the idea is that, well, first we found out that the, the method was valid and, and we could use it uh, uh, in the in the field. And the second thing is that we observed that the sprinters who were able to limit the decrease in speed with fatigue, for example, mm-hmm. there were also those who were able to limit the decrease in stiffness. So it means um, if you want to train for uh, repeated sprints or uh, long sprints, uh, then you have an advantage in, in training for uh, lower limb stiffness mm-hmm. with like uh, short range bouncing, etc, etc.
0: You're of the well your your research confirmed that stiffness is a skill or an ability that could be trained with with the appropriate yeah. training
1: yeah and uh, it's it's it basically at first we didn't go into training effects but at first it confirmed that it was a it was a variable that was um important in maintaining the speed so it's very funny when you think back it's um back in the days I was working on maintaining the speed mm-hmm. and now i'm working on generating the speed <laughs> so yeah. I, I i took things. The wrong way maybe
0: <laughs> so would you say stiffness is more something it won't necessarily make you faster but it will help you to slow down less
1: No, when i think back i think it is also useful when accelerating because if you think stiffness has the ability not to deform and to transmit the force mm. then yes I, I really think ankle stiffness ankle joint stiffness is really key in transmitting the force so it's also very very useful in accelerating as well
0: okay and your, your work now, are you still working with the, the resisted treadmill studies and, and examining the kinetics and kinematics of, of, different, um, of, of runners at, at different speeds? Um,
1: so uh, indirectly, yes, because I left the university where the treadmill was and I couldn't take it with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, and we still have data. Uh, we are still writing papers on these data. But the thing is that um, colleagues of mine in Aspetar in Qatar, um, Olivier Girard, Especially, mm-hmm. uh, they have the same instrumented treadmill as I had before. Okay. So we kept we kept on working on that um, with the sprinting in altitude or heat conditions. Okay. So yes, I'm still working on it. Yes.
0: And is it right, basically, the big the big finding and obviously the the study that you're most well known for was looking at you know what makes Christophe Lemaitre so fast and yeah. the, the conclusive answer was horizontal power.
1: Yeah, that's yeah yeah that's it uh, it was horizontal power and it was the fact that this horizontal power was generated on the basis of a low average power you see what I mean so Lemaitre, at the time he was 9'9", um, he was busy. he didn't have strength um, oh, he's, he's, <laughs> he, di- he didn't do some strength training yeah basically and his numbers were really well for that level of sprint uh, ridiculous. So the idea was, um, how can he do that? And so we, show, we, we observed that he had a crazy effectiveness in applying the force horizontally. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the idea is that uh, his amount of force generation was very poor, let's say, but it was oriented with a crazy horizontal angle.
0: Mm-hmm. And is that just an acceleration or is that also during top speed?
1: No, that was the. We, we focused only on the acceleration phase, mm. but um, what we observed with him was that he was also able to bounce with a high stiffness once at top speed. Um, and he, he's more like a 200 meter sprinter. So uh, he had also this, uh, this ability to maintain the speed.
0: Yeah. So are you making a, a big differentiation between acceleration and top speed with regard to how the force is orientated?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, um, I think one of the main explorers to measure things. Yeah. Um, so And yes, that, that's, our studies are very complementary with those of uh, Peter Weyand and, and Ken Clark, mm. uh, in that they really focus on what happens once the runner is at top speed. And we recently focus on what happens just before that. So if you take their conclusions and ours, uh, you have, to me, a very clear and neat picture. And um, in some of our studies, when we focus on the top speed phase, we find exactly the same results as they did. So we are really uh, in line with what what they found. So it's a lot more about vertical force production and and minimization of ground contact time at top speed. Yeah, at that time. I would add something more. It's about uh, preparing the contact and, and pre-activating things because at top speed, contact time is something like 90 centi-90 90 milliseconds. Mm-hmm. And if you take into account the, the the delay between activation of muscle and production of force, then yes, um, you have to, to be ready. And that's what they find in their latest studies is that top speed runners, uh, they prepare the ground contact.
0: it's it's, you know to steal that idea from franz bosch it's not necessarily about the quantity of the force but the the timing the coordination the application of the force
1: yeah definitely if if you're able to put some some uh very high amount of force but your system requires some time to do it it's useless yeah because uh you will basically push very hard but too late so uh yeah, yeah that's um and I don't know if things are opposite, but what I know is that, um, yeah, that's the time frame, 90 milliseconds.
0: For sure. So
1: my question to you is,
0: with Christophe Lometri, you've mentioned that his, his total power output was, was very, very poor. And from that, I'm yeah. guessing that he, he orientates what power he does have really, really well. Yeah. He, he times it well. He coordinates it well. What, Absolutely. What is your approach to training a sprinter like that or what would you suggest? Are you going to attack his weaknesses or are you just going to make him more of what he is?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. At the time we measured him, um, he had only six years of tra- track and field training. Mm. So in my opinion, uh, he, he, at that time, he didn't reach his plateau on, on, his, um, on his strengths. So yeah. maybe it could, it could have been something to, to dig deeper. Okay. But the discussion we had with the coach was, uh, well, look, he has a crazy effectiveness in applying the force, but he doesn't have the level, the, the, the level of strength of uh, a sub 10 sprinter. So the idea of the coach was, okay, let's go and let's, let's uh, work on his uh, weaknesses. Mm. But the issue is that, uh, I think yeah, it is a very, very, um, balanced uh, situation. And I think they pushed, they may have pushed the strength part a bit too much. So he put on some weight. And well, that's life. Uh, what happened is that, um, he's never been as fast as when he was weak. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because he never did nine, nine again. Yeah. So that's the point. And to me, it's a very good lesson for any sprint coach. Am I going to put some weight to gain some strength? And will the net result be positive? You see what I mean? Yeah. Because if I put 5% more force, but this brings 10% more mass, uh, I think it's useless.
0: Yeah. Do you so we have to that, think,
1: what what do I work uh, force for?
0: Do you think that a lot of athletes go too far in the direction of, of strength and you know, with the additional cost of mass? Because... I, you know, I look well, at some UK sprinters and they put up incredible yeah. numbers in the gym, but then they don't necessarily replicate that level of success on the track.
1: Yeah, to me, to me, force is a basis. You, you need a certain level of strength to run fast. Yeah. But the question is, what additional strength do I need? And what will this additional strength bring in terms of running speed and body mass? And I think that overall, um, more is not necessary. Necessary all the time, but as I see from uh, you know, the, the morphology of m- most printers now, you see some thinner guys. Uh, if you take Andre de Grasse, for example, uh, if you take um, Adam Weir, um, uh, all these guys, uh, they, they are not skinny but they have much less body mass and and than years before,
0: yeah, like someone and like, they run
1: and they run fast,
0: like Murray green for example, he was a big guy,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah but you, this race Le Maître started to raise the question well uh, is it that useful
0: yeah so you've mentioned that he's 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 gained a lot of strength um, but he's gained the mass with it do you think as well that part of those changes that you've seen is just the fact that he's not necessarily got the skill or he's, he's not dedicated as much time to the skill of applying that force because you know yeah. my question to you is what are the determinants of how an athlete orientates their force? Is it uh, anatomical? Is it physical? Is it technical?
1: Well, that's one of the questions, of course, we, we, we ask ourselves. Um, the idea, to me, the idea, the, there's two points. The first point is um, transmission occurs at the foot, whether you want it or not. Yeah. So the idea is that uh, the ability of your ankle strength of your um, uh, foot to transmit the force that is generated uh, at the hips or thighs is key. So if you work on a crazy power generation and you forgot the end of the chain, the transmission, mm. then it's useless. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like, uh, when you have a big power car, you have to be very skilled in driving it. Otherwise, uh, you hit the wall. Yeah. So the idea is, uh, uh, uh don't forget this. Uh, I know it's not a sexy kind of training. That's not big numbers, do push, and but uh, that's transmission. <clears throat> so that's the first point. And the second point is uh, what we observed is that the ability to produce horizontal force was well related with the ability to um, have a strong hip extension motion. Um, okay. And uh, that's maybe something that his coach or him took for granted because he had a very strong uh, glutes and hamstrings at that time. So they may have worked on something else and they may have shifted the balance uh, yeah. too much, too much. I think one of, one lesson is that um, you don't take your athlete's strength uh, for granted. Yeah. It's, I'm okay with working on the weaknesses, of course, but uh, it, it shouldn't be detrimental to, to what's the strength of the athlete.
0: Or, you know, forgetting what made them that good in the first place.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the, th- the, the thing is that um, we are scientists and we are consultants for them. And the idea is that um, we measure this effectiveness of force application now on a on a monthly basis, every two or three months with them. And we see the numbers um, basically uh, decreasing. Okay. So, um, yeah.
0: How much... Um... Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of um, Brett Contreras' um, dissertation topic and yeah. they compared the hip thrust to the front squat uh, yeah. and they, they demonstrated that the hip thrust was more beneficial for acceleration and then the, the front squat was more beneficial for vertically orientated activities. Mm. Do, you, do you think that is going to play a significant part in, in helping field sport athletes to increase sport or do you think maybe that's more of a reflection of the low training age Uh, The people in that study, because obviously that's still quite a a long way away from actual sprinting in terms of specificity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think it should change things because I'm, I'm really, um, I'm a bit biased because I'm, I'm really into this vector, um, uh, theory. So, uh, uh, it makes sense. It's always the same thing. Build the strength and then go to specificity. So my opinion is that if you want to build the strength, first and foremost, uh, in the horizontal direction, then yes, this kind of exercise is good and, and data show it. And then you want to go into specificity. And to me, every time I hear the word specificity regarding sprinting, my, my mind goes to velocity. Yeah. Because you need to, you need to know that after two steps of a sprint starts, the body is already moving at more than seven, of his end top speed. Yeah. So even, even a sprint start should be seen as a force at high velocity exercise. And the one of the biggest mistakes that uh, people do, maybe in SNC, is thinking that force at a slow velocity will transfer to force at a high velocity. I I don't think it's the case. I agree. So to me, (laughs) specific means velocity based so the first question i have in my keynotes or whatever is what force at what speed are you a rugby coach do you see some guys starting accelerating with a with an initial velocity that's a crazy high velocity uh for producing force so that's the first question
0: and it's fair to say as well that if you are accelerating from a, a rolling start, you're you're probably not going to get close to those velocities in traditional gym exercises, right? Absolutely. So then,
1: nothing if, compares. Nothing compares to the stimulus of uh, moving your legs when you run at at uh, ten meters per second. So one day or another, uh <laughs> you will have to face it.
0: Yeah. So you, you mentioned there that guys are hitting seventy five percent of their of their maximal speed within the first two steps. Yeah. Do you find with the faster athletes or, for example, if you increase maximal running velocity that they're still hitting that 75 percent within two steps or is it just that they take more steps to get up to top? Speed? Well, at that
1: point, um, um, I, I cannot disclose some of the results we have, but uh, there's a, a research project going on with people at the INSEP, the National Institute in Paris, mm-hmm. where we um, look at this. Basically with a French sprinter named Jimmy Vico he's a uh, the European record holder now. Yeah. The, and uh, no, I, very it, very it's... Yeah, absolutely. And uh the so the study is uh is led by Giuseppe Rabita mm-hmm. and uh, we participate to that project and very soon we will have answers to that. Because to me um if you want a sprinter to push and be fast in the starting blocks, uh it makes sense to do some assisted movements like are you still able to produce some force even if the velocity is higher than you than you can handle?
0: So you would you would actually advocate using stuff like toad running, maybe downhill running yeah. to to help yeah, improve absolutely. force production.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I can tell you that because it's been on the French media a few a few weeks ago, but yeah. Okay.
0: How do you how do you find using those tools? Because a lot of coaches report that when they use them definitely with rugby athletes, they tend to mm. put their foot out in front and put the brakes on.
1: Yeah, but to me, uh, if someone put the brakes on, uh, it means something because if you can uh, if you can take that kind of barrier down, uh, uh, you just have to lift the brakes and, and and something positive will happen. Yeah, it's like if you run downhill, um, the first times you're a bit afraid and you break, and and uh, if you keep on doing it again, then uh, things happen. Every right. time I bench press, I have some crazy dumps. Uh, if this is a reason to stop, then uh, that's not training.
0: I like it. So it's, it's basically getting used to the stimulus and, and trying to convince yeah. your brain to let go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Cool.
0: So another study that, of yours that I, that I liked and I could relate to was the relationship between vertical jump and sprint performance in rugby players. Yeah. And it, it really struck a chord with me because at the time I was working with an international rugby league player who's not crazy numbers in terms of like the track and field world, but he would be able to hit uh, 10 meters per second in a game at top speed. Yeah, And you know, his vertical jump was not particularly impressive at all. I think I matched him. Yeah. 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 And you know, I'm I'm not hitting that speed.
1: I have something very important here. Uh, That's a point that uh, SNC people should have in mind. One of the biggest mistakes in this business is to take the conclusions of research and transfer it to practice without looking at who was tested, what was the population. Clearly, and this is a a paper that we are writing with a a Spanish colleague named uh, Pedro Jiménez now, we tested more than 400 people from leisure level to international rugby players, Mm -hmm. okay? We simply did the vertical profile and performance compared to the horizontal profile and performance, sprinting. The conclusion is clear, there is a relationship At a low level of performance. If you take school kids, yes, the most powerful will both jump high and sprint fast. Yeah. But once you hit, uh, training level and professional level, this relationship is zero, totally inexistent. And, uh, we have some New Zealand rugby players involved. The, there is absolutely no correlation. So your player is to me totally normal. Yeah. That's, and if you think, Yes, there's a correlation, and you work with elite sports, then that's that's a that's a mistake.
0: Is, is that uh, across all sports you you've seen that?
1: Uh, absolutely, we've seen that in soccer players, we've seen that in um the, I think in the in the study we have gymnasts, tennis players, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. The higher the level, the higher the the distinction between vertical capabilities and horizontal ones. So you shouldn't take vertical testing as an index of uh, sprinting performance and vice versa.
0: But would you still advocate vertical jump testing as just a, a general indicator of explosiveness?
1: Yes, absolutely. Because um, to us, the, what we call the vertical profiling gives us a very good idea of the the absolute maximum level of strength. Let's say non-specific strength. It's like the equivalent of the 1RM in squatting. It's It's an information you need to have. Yeah. And then when you compare that to sprinting ability, you have an idea of, uh, what's the level of strength and what's the level of transferring that strength to sprinting. Yeah. And so, that's what, at the, at the time of LeMetre testing, uh, we did some vertical jumps. Oh, his numbers were, were not really good. Yeah. So. nine yeah. 9 99. <laughs> exactly. So
0: what what are you saying is going to be a, a more appropriate indicator or field based assessment of sprinting speed in
1: rugby players would you say something like a broad jump or a standing triple well um uh, i will disappoint many of you guys here but uh, the best indicator will be will be 20 or 30 meter time yeah uh, first and foremost i i don't see any point in using uh jumping test to infer uh sprinting performance uh uh, except you don't except you don't want the guys to sprint but um, to me that should be the first indicator of performance and then the whys of performance uh, may come from the the force velocity analysis and the effectiveness computation
0: is there any way to to calculate that in a simple field based manner that that kind of force velocity assessment
1: yeah that's that's what we uh, published last year with uh, Pierre Samosino so the idea is that uh, we have a field method that is based on computing force, effectiveness, power, mechanical outputs of the athletes on the basis of uh, either velocity or split times. So the idea is that you take your usual devices and then you implement the equations. So uh, this method is, for us, simple. It requires uh, velocity measurement or split times. Um, a friend of us has developed a, a, um, an iPhone or an iPad app to do that the, the app name is my sprint and uh, it's pretty simple to implement uh, you need some teaching of course a little bit but it's not more difficult than uh, many other methods it's like uh, at the end it's like uh, you have a force plate on the ground oh, okay. more or less
0: so using that profiling are you would you suggest with with team sport athletes then kind of dividing them roughly in the middle between those athletes that would benefit more from enhancement of velocity and those that would benefit more from enhancement yeah. of force.
1: Yeah, that's what we do. Uh, because, uh, for example, when you when you deal with a team, uh, you try to split the team into two groups regarding force and velocity. And then you try to uh, subdivide the force group into who needs pure strength, who needs effectiveness, of force orientation, and uh, unfortunately for them, who needs both, Yeah. Uh, so you go a bit deeper in that, and that's what we did with uh, uh, the rugby sevens team, for example, in France, like, okay, who needs what? The idea is that. The first step for us is try and have the team training different things, because if you train every guy the same, it's because you assume that everyone has exactly the same capability, to me, uh, it's easy for me to say that because I'm not a coach. But yeah. this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense.
0: I agree, it's crazy. Is is yeah. there any is there any separation on the velocity side? Uh
1: for now, uh we did not dig uh, deeper into that for a good reason, it's that uh uh in rugby or in soccer, uh, what you need is uh first steps, uh first meters acceleration.
0: Yeah.
1: And top speed may not be uh uh an equivalent um, variable yeah but uh, we are going to to make some research into uh, step frequency okay I mean do I have a high velocity because I have the ability to be frequent um, or is it something else
0: what's your hunch do you think it is due to, to frequency or is it just a, is is frequency a consequence of force which
1: uh, we, t- we try to analyze that um, in, in, in jumping with a, a tapping test to, yeah. to have the, the lower limb frequency of motion. And it's, it's a bit of both. Uh, you need pure velocity of extension mm-hmm. and you need also, uh, a high frequency. So, uh, this is the next step. We are more now focused on the force side, uh, of the research. Um, and for another reason it's the relationship with injuries. So, um, yeah, that's the velocity is the next, uh, the next frontier for us.
0: Do you think there's still a place for maximum velocity sprinting or, or sprint training within field-based sports for things like um, yeah. sub-maximal efficiency, hamstring prevention, stuff like that? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. To me, there is two reasons. Uh, I changed my mind about that in the last 10 years. But to me, uh, there's two reasons to work on the top speed and the, and the maximum velocity. The first reason is that, as I said before, after only a few steps, if you're wide open which is almost never the case in rugby, but let's say if you're wide open, after a few steps, your speed is already very close to top speed. Yeah. Okay? So uh, even if you almost never reach the actual top speed, there's many, many situations in which you reach 90, 95% of it. Okay, so first reason. The second reason is that, to me, top speed is a prevention exercise for hamstring injury And I will explain you why. Well, of course, everyone sees it as uh, the reason for injuries. Because when you're at top speed, you're at a higher risk. But to me, top speed is a moment where you put your muscle system in the context of a dangerous situation. Mm. And if you never do it, it's even worse. So the less you do it, the higher the risk. In my opinion, well, this is an opinion, but... Uh, we have now evidence showing that uh, it's a paper in the British Journal of Sports Medicine recently showing that, uh, yeah, high speed is a risk. But to me, high speed is a way to stimulate your system. And of course, if you never do it, then if one day you do it, the system is like, wow, even bigger risk. Absolutely. Yes. So yeah. it's a use it or lose it thing. For sure. Do you think there's a
0: relationship between um, increasing an athlete's uh, maximal velocity and then in- increasing their perf- performance in acceleration over shorter distances?
1: Ah, the question is a bit tough because uh, I don't think so. But uh, by definition, if you want to work on your top speed, you have to generate it. So uh, it's... La- Except if you have a treadmill on which you drop and you, you just, um, don't have an acceleration phase. Yeah. Um, so indirectly, if you work on top speed, you will work on acceleration before, uh, but I'm not sure there is a big transfer here. Uh, there's one thing I want to, 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 uh, comment on. Uh, I heard on the podcast, um, one of the SNC coaches of, uh, Leicester yeah. soccer team very interesting thing he said well lucky for them they had only one game a week last season etc but he said we work on top speed sprinting and we also especially work on it at the end of some training sessions when the guys are tired that scared me when i when i read that (laughs) yes but it shouldn't be the case okay to me what scares me is that you never do it and you send the players doing it during the games this yeah yeah
0: yeah okay but you but, know if you were in yeah.
1: charge would you put that first in the session absolutely would... absolutely uh, okay. once again i'm sitting in the in a comfortable position and i always say if a player has a hamstring injury during a game that's the, so, the story of soccer but if he has a hamstring injury during a high speed session uh, you're done oh yeah <laughs> and uh you know this uh, this is an issue definitely this is an issue of course.
0: I've heard about something even even braver. Uh, I heard about a a super rugby team recently that their their match day primer is 6 30-meter sprints on the morning of a game. Yeah? Yeah, I I don't have <laughs> yeah. the uh, the balls for that. <laughs>
1: uh, you know, uh for what I know of of soccer and and rugby at the pro level, uh I think that rugby people are a bit less reluctant uh to this kind of uh work. Then soccer. I, I, I've seen the Rugby Sevens team in France. Uh, they work a lot on sprint speed. Um, uh, that's a bit different culture, maybe, yes. But if you overprotect people from high speed running and the, and the hamstring consequences, uh, you think you overprotect them, but um, you put them at risk.
0: For sure. Um, have you looked at the effect of, of queuing or um, you know really quick interventions on how people orientate their, orientate their force on the resistive treadmill studies
1: no not yet uh, I would love to uh, I've heard recently Nick Winkelmann commenting on, on the effect of queuing and I'm I'm really interested in his work and I would definitely love to have a study showing okay what queue uh, relates to a more effective uh, force application that's that that would be great for now, uh, the only focus we had was not on queuing, it was on stimulus. And uh, there's a study under review now that shows that very, very heavy sled training improves the, the effectiveness of force application. Okay. So the idea is to put, if you put a very high mass behind the guy, he will run slow, of course, but his body will be able to orient very horizontally the force. Presumably
0: so, because you're, you're, you're getting them familiar with the body positions that are going to allow abs- them to create more yeah. horizontal force.
1: That's absolutely it. And this you cannot have with light sleds because light sleds allow your body to uh, verticalize and to be in an upright position. Yeah. And uh, applying the force horizontally when you're in an upright position is not that easy.
0: Do you think there's an equivalent... Uh, for improving top speed mechanics, you know the, the equivalent of the sled Is there anything that you can do to shape the environment to force them into the correct? Yeah the,
1: the thing is that the body is moving at 10 meters per second or more in that context. So uh, that's a big uh, To me one, one very interesting thing is pulling the athletes forward um, just to um, Just to generate um, an, a new situation for him to adapt uh, but other than that um uh, Yeah, that's, that's, that's very difficult. Maybe one thing that would be interesting to me regarding this, uh, ankle strength is to have some top speed phases, uh, with a sand on the ground, like the jumping, uh, sand, uh, the long jump. Yeah. Uh, sand, like you, you build up some speed and you have five, six steps in this kind of sand and you try not to decelerate.
0: Okay. Uh, So you're, you're kind of teaching that pre-tensioning of the, of the car. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because if you suck at pre-tensioning and, and at transferring the force at the ankle, the sand will magnify that. Yeah. And um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of working in the sand for this kind of force transmission, because if you are really strong, but you apply the force in a non-effective manner, then uh, you will have big troubles when, when sprinting or running in, in the sand or in, in a very, uh, let's say, um, non-stiff uh, you can use also a mattress or whatever
0: do you think uh, reactive strength index would be a, a useful assessment of stiffness when you compare that to other jump performances
1: yeah maybe yes 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 uh, the only thing with stiffness is that it's pretty difficult to to uh, objectively assess yeah but that shouldn't be a reason that shouldn't be a reason not to work on it okay
0: um what what kind of directions are you looking to take your research now? How, what, what future questions are you trying to ask? Uh,
1: the, the questions we are trying to ask now is uh, training effects, because uh, all we did was uh, uh, putting forward some uh, key variables, some variables of interest. Uh, we did not answer the question, uh, how can we work on them, and what's uh, an effective training solution. So that's the first point. And the second point is, uh, can we relate this mechanics to injury risk, and we have some uh, data now underwriting that give uh, some future tracks of research. Maybe it will be no, <laughs> yeah. but maybe it will be yes.
0: You know, a, a question has just come into my head, and one thing that I've noticed, unfortunately, is with with hamstring injuries, the the injuries that i have experienced with my athletes yeah a lot of them have come with athletes that have terrible running mechanics but when it's almost like when they don't think about sprinting mechanics they don't get hurt and then the moment you ask them to sprint with you know proper sprinting mechanics and they think about it that's when the injuries seem to happen is that just bad luck or do you think there's something there
1: i don't know uh if if it's based on only a few cases then you may not generalize but uh, what we think as uh, poor mechanics uh, are the mechanics of this athletes, and it's been like this for years. Yeah. So, any acute change, any acute change with, with instructions or with constraints in the environment, will be associated with a, with, um, uh, a problem that the athlete has to resolve. Yeah. So, we should be very careful in, in modifying anything even if we think that's for the right of the athlete that's for uh doing good but uh, it it may have been the case or it may have been pure luck but
0: yeah do you you think maybe that makes a case to even if you can make big changes and big interventions within one session do you think that maybe suggests that it would be smarter to make small changes
1: yeah 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 especially with the top uh, with elite athletes Uh, if you bring some big changes, some big changes to maybe low-level people, they they may have a, a larger margin of adaptation. Uh, but if you bring some big changes to elite people, uh, it's like you're modifying a a, a race car motor. So uh, yeah.
0: Cool. So
1: where can we find you? Sto- on- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No. No. It was the the story of back in the days of changing stride length and stride frequency. Any acute change in either one uh, resulted in, in lower sprinting speed.
0: Oh, okay, so sorry, can, can you can you explain that one more time?
1: Yeah, the idea is that, uh, for example, if you think that um, if you think that um, your athlete is overstriding, yeah, you think he is because I don't know, uh, maybe one guy uh, at a slower rate is faster than him, etc. And you say, okay, let's try to take your stride rate uh, uh, to decrease it. Uh, first and foremost, the adaptation will be negative. Okay. Then maybe after years and years, and uh, that may result eventually in something positive. But So that may have been the idea with your injured players. Is that, okay, I think you should run like that. But the, the thing is that his system was uh, not ready for that.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Cool. Well... Listen, JB, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Cool. Where can people find you online?
1: Uh, the best uh, way um, is Twitter, uh, JB underscore Maureen. And uh, our publications are available at uh, our ResearchGate uh, page. So uh, feel free to, to download and read it.
0: And um, is it right you're doing a seminar with Jonas?
1: Yeah, uh, we did it We did once in uh, July uh well now he's busy with the olympics but uh we have something scheduled um maybe with the rfu or something in in, in end of august or september
0: oh cool what's the, what's the topic of that going to be anything specific
1: uh it's going to be um how to put our uh field method into practice basically because uh we've been through the theory much more last time yeah. but now we want to have people because even if people get the theory, uh, they need to put their hands on the method and, and implement that.
0: I, I wish I could make it. I can't make it though.
1: <laughs> yeah, they will. Uh, Speedworks will, will communicate on that.
0: Oh, cool. All right. Well, um,
1: uh, af- after the after the medals in Rio, of course.
0: Of course, yeah. <laughs> how many how many athletes has you got? Like five or six this time.
1: Uh, yeah, something like that. Yes, uh, it's really really nice group.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, thank you very much, JB. I'll, um, I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Thank you.